Well, good morning, everyone. Guys, good to see you today. Welcome to March, and it actually feels like April. When does this ever happen? Well, like in this latitude level. Glad you could join us today, whether you're on live stream or here in person today. Just uh, great spending the morning with you. And uh, those of you who don't know me, maybe you're, you're with us for the first time or relatively new. My name's David Gadini, pastor here at Fellowship of Faith. And through this season that Christians called Lent, we're doing this series of, of meditations, if you will, on, on checking our own faith against where God is trying to lead us. And we're going through the prophet Isaiah, looking at well, fundamentally, how God works in this world. I asked this last week, but, but I do want to ask it again. Do you ever wonder, like, how God actually works? Like, we, we believe he's there. We, we get glimpses at times. We have the history and the story of what's come before us. But, but so often, I think, in the midst of life, we struggle with, like, how is he actually working in this? Or around this? Or under this? Or whatever preposition you want to use in relationship to this. You know what I mean? You ever been there on that question? This, this is a question that Isaiah wrestles with deeply. And what we see from this prophet Isaiah is that God works through this something or someone that Isaiah calls the servant. A servant of God, a servant who acts on God's behalf. And, and through the, the prophecy of Isaiah, there are five poems, or what are typically called five songs, about this servant. Each giving a certain snapshot, if you will, about this servant and how God works, but fundamentally reflecting who God is. And so we're waiting through these together. So far, we've seen two of these pictures or two of these songs. We've seen that this servant is someone who is just, I mean, just doused with the spirit of God and who's bringing justice into this world, setting wrongs right in this world on behalf of God, but not in the way that so many people go about that business because when this servant does it, he will not, to use Isaiah's language, snuff smoldering wicks or break fragile reeds. It's not by storming and trampling over other people that he brings justice, but with a certain odd and even paradoxical gentleness, sensitivity, even against his enemies. And so we see this picture of how God works. Last week, we saw that the servant is God's secret weapon, completely unexpected, and yet absolutely effective compared to a brightened sword hidden in the hand, a polished arrow hidden in the quiver, that the servant is one that you would never see coming, but through this servant, God is going to do something amazing, which leads us to today. It's a third picture of this servant, a third picture of how God works, and I want to show it to you today, but even though we're going to put it on the screens in-house and at home, you'll have it for, for a minute or two, I encourage you to open to it and, and, and look at it and follow along because I want you to continue to kind of like wrestle in this, this song to see what this servant is like. So let me read it to you, but please follow along. From Isaiah 50. Lord Yahweh has given me an instructed tongue 
to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens me early. He wakens me early and he wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. The Lord Yahweh has opened my ears and I have not been rebellious. I have not drawn back. I offer my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the Lord Yahweh helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, have I set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring any charge against me? The servant asks. Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the Lord Yahweh who helps me. Who is he that condemns me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. Let's unpack. So the struggle in this part of Isaiah, really from chapter 40 on, is that Israel feels abandoned by God. Have you ever felt abandoned by God? It's been a long heart cry of the people of God since the time of Cain. The people of Israel feel abandoned by God. But God is communicating back, I have not abandoned you. And Israel speaks as though it's God who did the abandoning. But in contrast to this, God seems to be saying, I am doing everything to try to reach out to you, to communicate to you, to show myself to you, but you're just not listening. Have you ever had moments like these where both parties, you and someone else, or maybe just watching it from afar, they're like talking past each other in the night. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of a married couple. And I think there's no mistake that one of the big imageries, points of imagery that, that the Old Testament uses, the New Testament as well, for our relationship with God is a married couple. It reminds me of a married couple. Where one of the spouses, they, they've been so, so wounded and so much resentment has built up, whether justified or not, that whatever the other person now does, it fundamentally doesn't matter anymore because internally their mind is already made up. Uh, guys, sadly, I, I see this all the time and, and so many of you have probably suffered through this where... Yeah, the person might say, well, let's work on the marriage. Let's go to counseling. Let's, let, let's do something. But it's really just kind of lip service as a, as, a, as a last fleeting essence of the relationship because inside it's already been determined. And no matter what happens, that person is resolute 
and set. You could even say stubborn in the decision that they have already internally decided. Some of you have been in relationships like this. Some of you have been in marriages like this. Some of you have been on the receiving end. That no matter what you do, the decision by the other person is already set. Some of you have been on the giving end of this. That the resentment and wounds have built up so much that no matter what the other person does, the destiny is now set. And so, in these chapters preceding this passage in Isaiah, you see God almost desperately trying to speak to the people of Israel who feel abandoned, who are wounded, who have resentment that may have built up a sense of resignation or finality. And it uses all kinds of ways to try to describe this. He, he goes, well, well, so you think that we're married? Well, well then show me the divorce certificate. Show me the divorce certificate because I tell you, I have not divorced you. You don't have it. He says things like, do you think that I've sold you into debt slavery, handed you over to the creditors? Even if it looks that way, I have bought you back. Can't you see it? He describes himself to a mother. Can a mother abandon his child and go so far to say, even if a mother could abandon their child, I will not abandon you. And with image after image and message after message, Isaiah is speaking the word of God back to this people who's become stubborn. Stubborn in their wounds and resignation towards a God that they feel abandoned by. I love Isaiah's imagery for this. You can check this out in like chapter 48. He'll describe people like this as people who have neck sinews. We need to use the term neck sinew more in our life. We just need to use the term sinew more in our life. But the sinews of your neck, just like flex your neck here for a minute. Get that going. You feel those sinews there? Whose neck sinews are like iron, Isaiah will say. They are so tight, so taut, so strong. You are not going to move this head from the direction to which it is set. He goes further and he says that their foreheads are like bronze. All right? Have you ever been headbutted before? It is an overrated experience. Imagine a forehead like bronze. Have you ever been in a relationship with someone before whose forehead was like bronze? Maybe not the metal of choice that you would naturally run to, but the image is clear. This person is set, resolute, stubborn in what they believe and in the decision that they have internally set. And what I love is how this picture of this servant talks about how God is stubborn too. Do you see that in the top of the second paragraph? Therefore, I have set my face like flint. You are like bronze, I am like flint. Let's go at it, baby. 
right? But unlike the people of Israel, who are stubborn in their refusal to reconcile with God or to believe God or to to dream of a future with God, the servant is stubborn in a different way. Because the servant is resolute on seeing that God's plan is brought to completion and God's plan is resolution and reconciliation with you. That as stubborn as you are to fight against God, that is as stubborn as I am, God says. The servant says, I am in my promise and plan to be reconciled with you. If only every relationship in this world that's marked by wound and resentment was also marked by people who were stubborn to make it work and find reconciliation with each other. But so often we feel like we're beating our heads or having our heads beaten upon by someone with iron-like necks and bronze-like foreheads in a different way. And the difference seems to be this, that unlike people who have accumulated such a history of wounds and resentment, the servant lets himself be mocked and abused because God will let himself be falsely accused. Look at some of the language. I know I will not be put to shame. Second paragraph, see it? And yet, everything he says that off of is by things that we would precisely say are literally putting him to shame. The Lord in paragraph one has opened my ears and I've not been rebellious. I have not set my forehead like bronze or my neck like iron. I've not drawn back. No, instead I've done something different, the servant says. I've offered my back to those who beat me. My cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. God's servant says, I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting because the servant, like God, is one who will let himself be mocked, shamed, and abused by those he's in a relationship with. And despite it, sets his face like flint in commitment to carry through the plan and purpose and promise of God's desire to reconcile with the people Israel and with you. You know, here it would seem that this servant is Isaiah speaking as one 
on behalf of Israel and yet to Israel on behalf of God. But as Tina and Justin put it last week, and I loved it in their post game, who is the servant? Is it Israel? Yes. Is it Isaiah? Yes. Is it Jesus? Yes, because it's all a reflection of the character and nature of God. Isaiah is speaking on behalf of what Israel is supposed to be as a prophet in whom the, 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 the footsteps of Je- that Jesus will follow, all as a reflection of God. To think for a moment that God is more stubborn than you. In this day and age, we like to mock God, don't we? It's become fashionable especially for Christians, to pull on God's beard, to beat his back, to mock, and even spit. Let me explain. I'm angry with God. I'm disappointed by God. I feel abandoned by God. Why didn't God... How come, God? How could you, God? You get the train of thought here, don't you? We love to position ourselves with a certain sense of righteous indignation. There's just no better way of putting it. A bit of righteous indignation, setting ourselves and our foreheads like bronze over against God, crossing our arms, expecting him to justify himself to us, and like an angry, pouting child, standing stubbornly against him until he makes right by us. It is the standoff of a strong-willed child and parent since time memorial. And we find ourselves so, so intellectual, so sophisticated, so, so wise, and we take pride even in the stance we take before God. When truly all it often is, is a stubborn heart, refused, uh, fueled by internal wounds and resentments that we've never dealt with. No, but not God. No, God is stubborn in a very different sort of way. And no matter how much you pull on his beard or beat his back or mock and spit, God is resolute in reconciling with you. And all of this paves the way for what we see in Jesus, manifesting the way of God. There's this one little line I want to share with you. It comes out of Luke 9, verse 51. It's almost a throwaway line if you're reading the gospel through, and yet in it is an allusion to the nature of this servant, and more is the pivot point of what this gospel is about. In the middle of the gospel, it says, as the time approached for him, Jesus, to be taken up into heaven, preceded by nailed to a cross, what did Jesus do? He set out for Jerusalem. But look at how he did it. Resolutely. 
Because as gentle as the images of Jesus are, that we might have Jesus had a stubborn side. Because God has a stubborn side. And that stubborn side is doing whatever it takes, enduring whatever it takes, going wherever it takes to see through God's dream of being reconciled to you. So off to Jerusalem, off to the cross. His followers tried to warm him. His his disciples tried to dissuade him. Even Pharisees came to him and said, they're looking for you there. But resolutely he set out because that's God's commitment to his promise to you. Right after, and you have to read this, do it on your own. The next couple of verses, it talks about how even as he's setting out for Jerusalem, they are, shall I say, metaphorically beating his back and pulling his beard. They are not receiving him. They are rejecting him. And the disciples turn to him and ask that question that we all want to ask God and be able to carry out at times. Lord, should we call down fire from heaven on them? Look at the next thing that Jesus has to say. But he turns and he rebukes him. He looks him in the face and he rebukes him. And he said, you don't know what kind of spirit you're of. You bronze-headed, iron-necked, mule. <laughs> and I love this line. Look, guys, and if, and if, and if you want to know what God's about in one sentence, this last one is it. For the Son of Man, that's Jesus, okay? For the Son of Man did not come to destroy his men's lives, but to save them. God did not come to destroy your life, but to save it. God does not come to snuff your smoldering wick or break your reed. No, God is not resolute in rejecting you in writing you off. No, he is resolute in saving you and finding that relationship with you and the process. Welcome to the servant. Welcome to Jesus and welcome to the way of God. See, The question, if you will, of Isaiah is, will you have a face like flint or a forehead like bronze? Which one are you going to have? Because your decision in those internal places is going to make all the difference in how you see God, relate to God, interact with God, and your future with God. It will make all the difference in whether you spend your remaining days like a couple who are married in name only, but whose relationship is marked by ignoring each other, resenting each other, resisting each other, and pulling out each other's beards. Yeah, ladies too. (laughs) Or whether your relationship with God 
will be moving towards the joy, the reconciliation, the intimacy, and the goodness that he so desperately wants to have with you. One more line that tail ends this third servant song. Who among you fears Yahweh and obeys the word of his servant? Who? Let him who walks in the dark, who has no light, trust in the name of Yahweh and rely on his God. Wherever you are in that relationship with God, your attitude towards God and the condition of your head and your neck. Let him who walks even in the dark, who has no light, no hope, let even that one trust in the name of Yahweh and rely on his God. Ask yourself that question today. Will I fear Yahweh? and obey the word of his servant. There's a song we're gonna sing that's just about how holy God is, how different he is than us in so many ways that even though we reflect his image we often reflect it in an inverted or distorted way. How different his stubbornness is than our own. And maybe as we just sing this song together today, it's a time of stepping towards reconciliation with him or trusting in him or fearing him or obeying him, or softening the tension in the neck, and massaging out some of the bronze to a renewed relationship with him. So I invite you to rise.
Guys, why don't you go ahead and have a seat? You know her well, even though we haven't seen her in a couple of weeks on the screen, but good news for you in person. You get to see her live today. Gwen Johnson, our next gen director, is coming up, and she's going to be sharing a few things with you this morning. Let's welcome Gwen, all right? Hello. Good morning. All right, long time no see, at least as an active part of the, uh, the, the, the production side of this, and yeah. much to my, my mom's dismay, I know, and so many other people, but. Yeah, hopefully I'll be back soon doing magic, as I've been told. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I apparently do. <laughs> Our resident sorcerer, all right, all right. You know, Gwen and I um, have, have been talking a lot these past few weeks about faith training. And Gwen, um, those of you who don't know, oversees what's known as the Rock Children's Ministry, Boulder Student Ministry, basically all ministry here targeting infancy through 12th grade, and truth be told, even into our college years, a, a, a little bit. And... Um, I've been talking about a lot about what faith training looks like for kids. Sunday mornings, I've been talking to you directly. Those of you who, who are adult age, you know, even high school and older, whatever it might be. But a lot of you might not realize that just as we have a faith check guide for you, Gwen has developed some pretty incredible ones for our children and student ministry population. And would you just share some things and some highlights and just take it and roll? Yeah. Okay. So basically I started thinking, we've been doing this for years. If you've been at FOF, we have our faith check questions and they're great for us as adults, but really some of them aren't very appropriate for younger kids. And we've never really talked about the fact that if we're checking our faiths, the Bible's not just for adults, it's for everybody. God wants them to be checking their faith too, your kids, your older students, all the way through. So what I wanted to do was create something that was more age appropriate and more easily accessible for kids that are younger. So we have three faith check uh, Google Slides, which is what we've been doing our Google Classrooms in for the entirety of when we haven't been able to have the rock. So if your kids have ever done these before, this is not a new uh, platform for them. They understand how to use it. Probably they're using it in school too. And so it's a way for them to look at questions and kind of think about them for themselves. Now here's the thing. Most kids have about an attention span of a minute. Maybe a little more. And honestly, as adults, that's pretty true for us, too. I was going to say, Gwen, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's not just the kids, but for sure for kids. Uh, if we ask them to, to change a no to a yes, if it's not like an immediate, how do I do that? It's like gone, right? And so what I wanted there to be is a way for them to immediately think about, how can I change this? So what I've created is... Uh, videos. So each question, if you click yes, Pastor Dave talked about how if we say yes, what should we do? We should celebrate, right? If we're saying yes about something, we celebrate. So that's what they have too is celebration videos. And then if it's a no, it's an instructional video of what you could do. How can you change this? What does this mean? Um, if there's confusion about it, and there are age-appropriate videos from preschool, elementary, and Boulder students of ways that they can think about how they can change it. And, and, you know, I'm going to assure you guys, when, when Gwen first showed these to me, like, 
I was almost a little afraid to have this conversation today because you're done with the adult faith check guide at this point. You know, adults, I swear to you, because you get lost on this video page and all you want to do is get the incentivized dance parties after getting your yes. And, um, you know, how, how do people access this? Let's not take for granted they know where to find it. That's a very good question. So if you are on our Rock or Boulder uh, e-news guides, and if you're not and you have kids and Boulder students, you should be, I'm emailing them out as a part of our weekly check-ins. They're also on our uh, webpage on the Fellowship of Faith webpage. You can access them on our faith training section of our webpage and especially under family. That's the family tra faith training is where you're going to be able to click on those links and get straight to these class to these Google slides. Um, and, and really what we want is them to be able to do this themselves, but it would be great if you did this together as a family, right? So that you have an idea of what your, what your rock kid or your Boulder student might need help with. Um, and maybe you'll find that they have the same things they need help with that you yeah. need help with, right? And so working through that together is not, not such a bad thing. For Boulder students, uh, because maybe they don't care so much about celebration videos, although honestly, I'm with you, like I, I enjoy the celebration dancing videos. Um, for their positive things, I found Really, really dumb, uh, but they love them vines, for those of you who know. Because if we can't slum in 2006 with a celebration on this, you know, I mean, we're living the best in life. <laughs> right. So they're like 15 second funny videos, which is a celebration if you are in sixth through 12th grade, that's what they want to do. Um, and so that's what you'll find for their celebrations. But you can see that as we go through, they get more advanced. So when we're talking to a preschooler, they only need six questions. But when you're talking to a Boulder student, they're going to need a lot of the same questions that we do, right? So it goes all the way up. And what I've loved about this, Gwen, is just the idea that, well, the primary place for spiritual formation is not here. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's at your home. And, and we're glad that you're here and this is an anchor point, but if you're relying on this alone, you're never going to experience what God mm -hmm. has in mind. Parents, it, it's a huge responsibility to have kids. And so often we forget the spiritual responsibility and, and you can use this as a tool. And I love just how you've integrated that, do it together, especially if you have preschoolers who need a lot of help. And, and I think honestly, adults, you're gonna probably get more out of the videos than your kids will at times and uh, they'll help guide you too. So uh, Gwen, I mean, any, any closing encouragements, any closing thoughts or? Uh... The only other encouragement that I have for you is if you get stuck, uh, if you're doing this with a grandchild or a child and you're like, they, cause they're, they're gonna, they're gonna come up with a question that you're like, what? Because they always do. And if you, you find yourself in that position, then reach out to us. Like we're here to help and we might not, we might also say what, but then we'll, fight, we'll find a resource, a resource for you to help them really understand uh, the questions that they're having. Because they're going to, they're going to have questions as they're going through this. Why do we do this? Especially that why question, right? So uh, really do reach out. We're here for you. Um, I, I, you know, I have my email address on there. You can always send an email to me. Um, and I know Pastor Dave would also help you with whatever questions you're kids may come up with. I'm sure they won't be new for you with your own kids. <laughs> they ask why a lot. They, uh, they always get you with a good one though. They you do. Know? They it's, really yeah. do. They come yeah. up with things you never think. Um, and really, this is really supposed to be the starting point, right? And that's what it is for us as adults too, the beginning of the conversation. Um, not something you do once and then you're done with, but hopefully something that you continue to look back on and think on so that you can develop the, these new faith steps for them. Well, Gwen, thank you so much for putting this together. I mean, honestly, guys, check it out this week, and uh, let's, let's give her a hand, all right? There we go. So, 
I would like to frame some things. Again, we, we, we jumped right into this, but, but I, I want to frame the spirit of all of what Gwen is talking about here, and adults, how it pertains to us. And I want to show you this same passage out of 2 Corinthians 13 that we've been looking at these past um, couple of weeks. And, and here it is. Um, give it to me on the screen if you would. Remember this from 2 Corinthians 13. While they get it up, I'm going to get it to you in the message version. You read that out loud with me? Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. And again, because I love how the message puts this. Test yourselves to make sure that you are solid in the faith. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourself regular checkups. You need firsthand evidence, not mere hearsay, that Jesus Christ is in you. Test it out. And if you fail the test, do something about it. We're so burned by the word test, aren't we? We've grown to develop hives over the very word from school traumatic memories. We think about being tested today as something negative. But I think we forget the spirit of what it's always supposed to be. Just a way to see honestly where we're at as a way to help us grow in some kind of way. These past two weeks, we've been doing these faith checks right here at FOF and encouraging you to do it at home. And each week, we encourage you to continue to hop on our faith training webpage and take the section for the week and, and practice this at home. And, and certainly now that you know explicitly how to do it with your kids. But I would like to go through this process again today. Let's put Acts 2 up on the screen. Let me show this to you, all right? Where it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer where everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles, where it talks about the believers being together and having everything in common, and even selling their possessions and goods, giving to those where there was need. How every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, breaking bread in their homes and eating together with glad and sincere hearts and praising God and enjoying the favor of all the, Lord, uh, of all the people and the Lord adding to their number daily, those who are being saved. It isn't comprehensive by any means, but it sure is a great summary, a great picture of what church, people of God, community with God is supposed to be. Every week we've been drawing on this to angle on a different aspect of our spiritual lives. Today we're going to talk about things like repentance, obedience. Faith is an action word more than an idea or a belief. The way we like to put it here is God's call for us to restart our lives daily. Have you ever wished for a restart? God actually invites us to restart our lives daily. 
And a restart doesn't mean that we'll be free of all consequences from the past, but it does mean we can start anew in the present. Every day he invites us to restart our lives with him. And so what I'm going to do this morning is just ask you a series of questions to help guide you through that process. Be honest with yourself. A good honest no beats a half-hearted yes. Examine yourself against these and just seek to get a picture of where you're at with God today. So find your space. Find your space, close your eyes if you need to, and answer these. I feel closer to God today than a year ago. I'm more committed to Christ today than I was a year ago. On this next one, list these now. What sins are you struggling with in your life? And what others? And what others? Ask yourself this morning, am I able to accept God's forgiveness for me in these? And am I repenting of these? Beyond being able to accept God's forgiveness in these, are you able to forgive yourself for these? Ask yourself, do I repent and recommit to God daily? Am I actively seeking to be obedient to God? Am I taking new chances for God? Is there someone in my life who's holding me spiritually accountable? How'd you do? Want to hear something pretty cool? With God, it's okay to fail the test. It's not like mom who's going to yell at you, a teacher who's going to threaten you, a school system that's going to hold you back. 
a stigma or a judgment your class will put upon you. No, the unique thing about God is we come before him often as bigger failures than successes. And he loves us and works with us right where we're at. You know, maybe in the areas where you answered yes, rejoice in that. It's evidence of God working in your life. And the areas where you came up with a no or an I'm not sure or the list was a mile long on the sins and very short on the chances and obedience. Well, come to God in that place and restart your life today. Today. 